0: Hello, and welcome to ngBuild-pod, where we share with you our knowledge of Angular, all the mistakes we've made, and some of the things we've gotten right. I'm Chris Kamak, and with me as always is the magnanimous John Graham. We're both full-stack Angular developers that love to share and be part of the developer community. We both work here at Miles Technologies in Lumberton, New Jersey on the engine team, we have spent the last several years building out our Angular template for the Miles software division. So, John, uh, why don't you uh, start off here by telling us a little bit about what you've done in the past couple of weeks?
1: Yeah, so I guess I should start by saying I got a new microphone, so I may sound a little different on this this podcast versus previous podcasts um hopefully better <laughs> different better and not different worse but i'll uh, i'll be checking that out after we record and hopefully everything comes out good uh, but that's not what i've been up to uh, really what i've been up to recently is um i've been wanting to get more into machine learning so a lot of my free time has been dedicated to um doing what i should have did in high school which is pay attention in math class <laughs> And, uh, I've just been kind of going back and relearning a lot of things like machine learning, you know, at least what I'm looking at, definitely it's good if you have a, a good understanding of linear algebra, which I'm sure for a lot of people listening to this is not an issue, but you know, I didn't go to college, um, and I didn't pay attention in high school. So I'm a little behind the ball on some of these just like basic math concepts. So I've been using Khan Academy, uh, which is a really cool tool. It's free. Um, And it lets you kind of follow a path on, you know, learning, you know, from basic algebra on up to, you know, geometry, trigonometry, calculus, linear algebra, statistics, all that stuff. So um, I've been having like a lot of fun reliving my glory days of high school uh, (laughs) and actually learning uh, this time and not just uh, goofing off. Um, So. Uh, so that's been probably the the major thing I've been doing uh, in my free time, um, as well as just, you know, sticking with the running thing, although it's getting cold. Yeah, so, uh, definitely. Definitely getting cold out there. <laughs> that's not helping too much. Uh, but yeah, that's me. What have you been up to?
0: Well, first off, I got to give you a, a plus one on the Khan Academy thing. That's exactly the thing that I used um, a couple of years back when I went to college as a 30 uh, something year old. And uh, they put me in a calculus class. And I was like, yeah, I don't remember anything leading up <laughs> to calculus. And uh, and I had to like do a crash course in uh, two nights in order to feel like I actually had a business being in that class. It turned out okay. But, man, Khan Academy really saved me for that one. So, yeah, it
1: jumps around a little bit. But I think it does a pretty good job of, like, you know, sometimes they'll, like, ask me a question and they definitely didn't go over it. So I have to, like, go find it. But um, I think it does great at, at kind of putting together, I'll say, an expedited syllabus. <laughs> <sort of> thing.
0: <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, for myself, um, it's been the usual stuff, uh, you know, different various video games and uh, bass guitar and, and that sort of thing. Um, you know, but I, I would say the, the, the latest or newest thing for me uh, uh, was uh, when Aaron and I took a trip up to um, New England. Uh, and, uh, it was during pandemic. So we, we were very careful and didn't, didn't actually go out with anyone else. We just sort of, uh, got our, uh, fast food, if you will, (laughs) (laughs) and, uh, uh, stayed in Airbnbs that were following CDC guidelines. So, I mean, we were very safe about it, of course, with, with Erin, you have to be safe because, you know, that's very important for her and her work. Uh, but any case, um the uh the trip was great it was really nice to see parts of the country i haven't seen before so really yeah, enjoyed it. and
1: she's probably one of the few people that actually knows what's safe and what isn't safe is you know <laughs> uh, from her uh her line of work so
0: yeah yeah definitely it's uh it's nice to have someone in the family who you can say uh you know is this is this good what they're saying for me to do here and she, no that's not important
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah you know. I mean, there's nobody's ever lied on the Internet, so you nope. can't, can't get any misinformation. Yeah. Cool. So let's uh, let's talk about uh, kind of what we're going to get into today and then we'll we'll jump into our quick tips. And uh, this is the the end of the marathon or the the long sprint, depending on how quickly you're listening to
0: these episodes. It's three episodes. Um, so is it a triathlon? Triathlon.
1: (laughs) Well, we're we're doing the same thing each time, so I don't know if it counts as yeah, uh, probably not.
0: Then different sports, but
1: um, but yeah. So we're still uh, talking about the dynamic forms, right, and the dynamic configurations for that. So originally, up to this point, we've kind of got to the point where we were writing you know, HTML for a text box, and we just put a text box on a page, but we didn't like doing that. We said at the very beginning, one of the genesis of the reason for doing this is we don't like writing simple HTML or basic HTML or things that we've done a lot. Um, And uh, we wanted to kind of automate some of that. So then we said, well, um, you know, now that we've automated it for uh, the input box, uh, why can't we just automate it for everything? Right. Why do we have to stop at the input box, um, you know, and uh, that got the ball rolling and we're like, hey, OK, how are we going to automate this? How are we going to understand this? So in the last episode, we talked about how we tied our database into uh, a front end model. So we went over some of the concepts that we use for that, some of the tools that we use to build that process uh, and gave a, a good overlay of how you can translate things from like a database to you know, what it would be like um, on the front end. And the thing we have to do today uh, is we have to connect all those dots, right? So we have this problem, we have this um, building solution, and now we want to get to the point where, you know, we've got these dynamic forms where we can we can send in these configurations and we can get out a bunch of different, um, different types of HTML elements that build up a, a single form. Um, so that's what we're going to get to today. We're going to hopefully uh, close the loop Uh, cross all the T's, dot all the I's, and make it so that um, you can actually implement a similar solution to
0: this. I I have faith in us, John. I think we're going to get it done.
1: (laughs) I think we will, too. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so uh, let's jump into the quick tips. Why don't you go first, Chris?
0: Uh, Sure, yeah. So um, lately we've been working on upgrading our template from Angular 7 to Angular 10, um, Angular 11 just came out. So, I mean, it's like uh, we're a little bit behind, but that's that's how it is when you have a template like this. You want to wait a couple of major versions before you make a big jump like that. Otherwise, you're just constantly upgrading. Um, but anyhow, going from 7 to 10 brought along the latest version of TypeScript, which I had not personally had the chance to work with, but was on my radar. Uh, so the tip today is if you are working with the later versions of TypeScript, you probably have access to something called optional chaining, which really changes the way you have to write code. So previously, if I wanted to call, say, focus on, on, on some sort of element and I grabbed it, say, via view child or something like that, uh, I may access that by saying this.elementref.nativeelement Dot focus, and that focus would be like a function call. Um, problem is, what if you don't have that, or what if the thing you're talking about doesn't have a focus event? Obviously, there's a lot of ways that could go wrong. So, in previous code, in order to guard against that happening and throwing some sort of not found or null operator problem, you would you would probably put it in an if statement. You would say if this dot element ref exists, end, end this dot element ref dot native element exists and and this element ref native element dot focus exists and then finally after all that if checking inside the if you would you would call the focus function and it's like man it's a lot of work just to get to be able to do something that you know you'd like to be able to do if it can do it uh so optional chaining that's where this comes in you can rewrite all of this get rid of the if statement and everything just by using optional chaining, which basically adds a question mark on the end of a property to indicate that if it doesn't exist, that's okay, just don't continue down the path. No problem, no harm, no foul, so to speak. So this can be rewritten, this example, to this dot ref question mark. What is it, native native element? Yeah, I think it's native element. Yeah. Uh Sounds question right. mark dot focus dot, and then the parentheses for calling the function. So basically, uh, well, it's focus question mark dot. The point is you put a question mark in front of everything you're not sure of. So by the time you get to the focus one, it's like if focus is there, then call the function. So it's like focus question mark dot parentheses. And that's it. You don't have to have an if statement or anything. If it gets all the way down that chain and gets to focus and it's there, it will call it. That's the entire set of code. So optional chaining for the win. And that's my yeah. quick tip.
1: Yeah, it gets rid of a lot of the ceremony, uh, especially when you're dealing with like tooling, like we're building, where you know you don't have guarantees. It's yeah. one thing if you're building the application and you kind of you know quote unquote can guarantee yourself some options, but with us, you know, people are going to implement it, and, and we have to be sure that we're getting what we expect. So uh, that that's a huge win for us. It gets rid of a lot of boilerplate stuff. Yeah. Cool. Um so for me, I, I probably said this in a previous podcast, but I gave up on it halfway through and came back to it, which is I've been taking another dive into Vim, learning the Vims, as they say. Um the Vim. What is Vim, John? Well, it's the it's the thing that's better than Emacs. Right? Nice, I, I see. But uh, <laughs> woo, um. So, uh, so yeah, the one thing that's pretty cool with it though uh, that I hadn't gotten to is like you know it's it's a steep learning curve I think for people and it's uh, it's it slows efficiency at the beginning, but I found this pretty cool game uh, called Vim Adventures and I'll put a link in the uh, notes so people can check it out. Um, but it's a browser-based tool where you actually navigate and complete uh, puzzles using Vim hotkeys. Um, so it's pretty cool. One of the things I like about it is it really helps with like your muscle memory. So like, you know, just knowing quickly which keys you want to press. Uh, it also teaches you, you know, how to use Vim, which is nice, like slowly, not all at once. Um, and I've been enjoying it and it's been really good. And I'm starting to see now the benefits of, um, of Vim and how it can actually, you know, make things quicker depending on, you know, your style and how you, how you program. So I'm pretty excited to kind of keep going with it.
0: I am excited for you. I I just can't get on board with it myself, but I'm I'm excited that you are getting into it and that it's something that's going to help your productivity.
1: (laughs) Thank you. I hope so at least.
0: Sorry, uh, Vim. It just gives me (laughs) shudders.
1: I'll convert you sooner or later. There's two people on the team now that use Vim, so
0: I know I'm going to be overrun.
1: pretty soon you won't be clicking uh, save through the menu too we'll get you there don't we? i like my
0: mouse john <laughs> i really do makes me feel good
1: hey man whatever whatever works for you i'm all <laughs> i'm all for it i don't mind cool so uh, so let's get into the topic right so we 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 set the stage in the um, initial thing in the initial intro where we you know, want to start to introduce the last piece of this puzzle, which is, you know, kind of the configuration object or how we get, um, you know, the, the translation of the database into an object, and then how we get that object um, to work in a form.
0: Right. Because, right. I mean, at this point, if we wanted to, uh, we could, you know, for, for like a customer object, which we've used as an example before, if a customer has a property name. Uh, we could just uh, create a, uh, this text box component that we've already created before in a previous uh, uh, example. We could just use that on the page, give it the config, and it would automatically configure itself for all of the validators that it needs. It would know if it needs to be required. It would know if it's got a max length and what that value is. So that'd be pretty nice um but we're still manually having to decide which component to put on the page so like we're still involved in that process
1: yeah and and we'd have to decide how many and the order and all that stuff so we're still you know if there's you know first name last name whatever we're going to have to add each one of those elements to the page now they're much simpler right because we've abstracted away all of the html like the label and the and the required um um like the required fields like the labels that you show for errors things mm-hmm. like that Um, but we're still putting like you said text box text box text box and then well what about um select list or what about um you know radio button or what about those you know or now do we have to you know also write controls for those and then do text box text box radio button text box uh and control the uh the html that way
0: um which yeah, is i mean is, wouldn't it wouldn't it be great, though, if we had, like, a component that we could give the config object to, and it would just sort of, I don't know, become the one that we want it to, That like, it knows whether it should be a text box. It knows whether it should be a select. We covered that last, last episode. So if it knows that information, wouldn't it be nice if we had a component that we could do that, you know, is one component to rule them all, and oh. and it just becomes whatever dynamic one it's supposed to be. I mean isn't that why we call it dynamic forms John? Isn't that why we call it that?
1: It's the component that's going to find its true potential Chris. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> exactly. Sure. I can be yeah. anything I want to
0: be. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I can be a real HTML element. That's right. Exactly. Uh, we better stop with these puns. But um yeah, that, that's a, that's the goal, right? Like that's the the vision for this when we started is hey, it would be great, you know, if we didn't have to write any HTML Right, like even putting, uh, you know, individual components, although abstract it to make it more convenient, uh, it's still not doing quite quite the job uh, that we need. So let's introduce this concept, and we're going to put a term to it. This is our term, though, uh, so you can call it whatever you want. You can call it the Bilbo component because it's going on an adventure <laughs> for the the One Ring, whatever you want to say. Sure. Um, <laughs> but we're going to use the term dynamic field. Right. And again, when when we say that, that's just a term that we've created uh, to describe this component that we're talking about. And, uh, you know, really what it is, is it's a a single, you know, component and it's an angular component uh, at the end of the day that uh, takes in a configuration object. And this is the configuration object that we've been talking about. And it might be good to quickly kind of just recap some of the the pieces of it. Um, so that people are, are aware before we get too too far. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it takes this configuration object, and then it, it has some um, some things that it's in charge of, right? So it's in charge of the HTML for the element that it's configuring, right? So it needs to, like we said before, it needs to have a label, it needs to have required... Um, you know, labels. It needs to have maybe like a max length field. This is where you can start to add these little cool customization pieces in. Uh, and it needs to turn them off and on if it makes sense, right? So like a dropdown, a select list isn't going to have a max length, right? So this component needs to know how to create the HTML based on the configuration it's getting.
0: Well, technically um, though, the other components already know how to do that, right? Like, like we created the form text box component and it knows how to make the required labels. So, so what we really need is something that can determine which of those controls to render. Really, yeah. And right?
1: that's that's a good that's a good uh, that's a good point because we are dealing with like a second abstraction here mm-hmm. now that that maybe wasn't obvious. So the first abstraction was this uh, form control text box that we created. Uh, which you know has some of the build up. Now this is saying, okay, I need to be able to decide which one of those abstractions to implement. Yeah. Um, when I'm doing that, so yeah, that's a good point to make. Um, and the other thing that it needs to do besides deciding that is it probably needs to attach itself to some sort of form. Mm-hmm. Right, because we're dealing with the, the lower level pieces of the form. And the reason we're doing that is so that we can customize them so greatly. If you're trying to just like spin up an entire form all at once, you're limited with what your options are, uh, or you're having to, to, you know, tease out like and go into these individual components and, you know, you're navigating all around the form, you can do it, it would just be a little rough. Um, so in this case, we kind of assume that this will be placed inside of a form, and the form is, is defined uh, outside. So it also needs to be able to figure out what form it's attached to. And that's just so it works the way you expect a form to work in Angular, right? right. It, it's going to have a form group. Those are going to have form controls. might have more than one form group. Um, and I can access these controls and values the way that I'm used to. I don't want to have any weird sort of interface or, or object coming out that I'm not used to.
0: Yeah, we're trying to make it easier to do the standard stuff, not not do, create a new process, so to speak. We we just want to make it easier to implement reactive forms the way they already work.
1: Yeah, and and just a quick aside on that, there's some gotchas that we can talk about later where we, you know, weren't necessarily following the default Angular sort of form structure. Mm-hmm. Like I know one of them was like disable or clear or something like that. Um, where like when you used our dynamic forms, they
0: didn't they didn't do what they were they were supposed to do. So
1: yeah, um, that's, you want to be careful we, not to confuse people. If
0: we have time later on, we'll get into some gotchas like that level. <laughs> yeah. But but for now, for now, we really want to create this this um, dynamic field is a great name. Uh, it's a dynamic field component, and essentially, we would like to be able to have uh you know two inputs on this thing, and that's it. One input is the config. And the other input is the form we want it to become part of. That's it. And if it has those two things, it should be able to select the right abstracted control, whether it be a form text box control or it be a form select control. We don't care which one it is. It should be able to select the right one and then sort of just create it all. Now, I'm going to say how I think this could be done in a very uh in a way that doesn't allow for for very very expansive changes later on and kind of puts you into a corner but one of the things you could do if you were trying to like think like right off the top of your head what could i do to make this work simply well we could have a bunch of ngifs inside of the template for this dynamic field component and list each one of the controls that we've created and we'll only show the ngif, or actually, I guess a, good, a better version would be an NG switch, just because only one of them can be true at that point. But the point is, is you could do this through ngifs to say, yep, show the text box. Okay, if it says show the text box, that NGF is active, although the other ones are not. And technically, that would work, right, John?
1: Yeah, definitely.
0: But now, if you create a new type of control, well, now you have to go back to that other control and make sure to add a new NGF for it. Um, yeah. And it doesn't allow you to do anything if you create a custom version of a control outside of the concept of this. You know, what if, what if we wanted to allow other people to create controls and control what they look like? If we wanted to do that, this NGF scenario wouldn't work at all.
1: Dynamic, except when you want to change something.
0: <laughs> exactly. Dynamic statically. There you go. <laughs> That's the dynamic. way to do it. So so, so we've already thought about the simple way out of using an NGF template, you know, changing type thing. Uh, but we don't want to go that way for various reasons. Uh, so, John, mm-hmm. what are we going to do?
1: Yeah, so I I do want to make a quick point um, because, uh, you know, we're talking about this config and it may not be obvious what it is. We did include in the show notes from last time a link to a gist of an example of a config. So I definitely recommend you check that out because it's got a lot of properties and it's hard to really articulate it, you know verbally. Um, but I think it's a lot easier to see that it's, it's just an object, uh, with some values and enumerators. So I, I would check that out just so you kind of get a feel for what we're, we're talking mm-hmm. about here. Um, but yeah, to answer your question of, you know, well, how do we handle this static dynamic problem? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, where, you know, we have an, a, you know, an infinite number of possible combinations because like you said, it even gets to the point where people create their own uh, components to use here that you know aren't standard HTML elements. And how do we want them to be able to use those? Well, you know, fortunately Angular kind of provides two uh really useful functions to to help with this. And um yeah you know, I know we want to kind of go into them a little bit uh each one, but I just want to kind of get them both on the table so that uh people are aware. And uh one of them is the view container ref. Um, and we'll go into that first. And the other one is a component factory resolver. And what these ones are going to let us do is it's going it's Angular's way of handling dynamic values, right? Because if you think about, let me talk quickly about how things work statically, and, and then I'll I'll let you kind of go into these these components a little bit. But if you think about when you're dealing with static elements, right? And let's talk about components. Let's not talk about elements. So we're in the Angular world. When you're dealing with a static component, meaning you know where you want that component to be, you have a couple options. You can have it rendered via a router outlet, right? So you route and you load the component when you get to the router outlet. And and, um, Angular knows where to put that because you have a router outlet and you can put it inside of that. Your other option is you know they're just child components, right? So you have your selector, you put your selector, and you're deciding in the template where you want that to go. Um, but when you're loading things dynamically, meaning you don't know where it's going to go, because you could have a form with one component, you could have a form with ten components, um, so it, it needs to have some sort of understanding of where it's at. Um, Angular provides these um, these APIs for you to work with in order to to you know, sort of make those decisions. So why don't we kind of go into a little bit of what like view container ref and component factory resolver is for people. And then we'll talk about how the config uh, kind of works with that as we go.
0: Sure, sure, absolutely. I, I think the first thing and the most important one to understand is the view container ref. So anytime that you're working with um, a component, you can bring this in via com- uh, injection into the component through the constructor. So you just do like a you know a private uh, VCR of type view container ref, and now you have uh, access to the view container ref, but it's it's not like it's not like some of the singleton uh, services out there that you get injected where there's one answer and it's always the same answer. In this scenario, when you inject the, the view container ref into a component, it is specific to that component. It is that component's view container. In other words, think of it this way, if 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 you know where to put this component, Right, if this component itself already has a tag, dynamic field has a tag. The question is, is what's between the tags? You know, what's what's from the start of the opening of that element tag or component tag to the end of that tag? Everything in between is the view container, technically. And this yeah. view container reference. Oh, sorry, go ahead.
1: I was just going to say uh, it might be analogous to like people might be familiar with the like template ref. Yeah. Is a is a different one where you mm-hmm. kind of place things inside of component um um attributes or element attributes. Uh right. and and those are the values. So we're talking about that container. And and to be clear, we do have the dynamic field component that is still going to be a placeholder, right? So we still get that static aspect of like, we're going to put it somewhere, right? We're going to say it's either part of this form. Usually it's not going to be a router outlet, right? Because you don't router outlet to forms typically. But, uh, you know, we're going to put it somewhere and now we have this sort of top level container element um, right. that, that we have access to.
0: Well, and that allows us to do exactly what we said we're, we're trying to accomplish at the beginning of this. Uh, we're, we were saying at the beginning of this episode, we wouldn't it be nice if we had a uh, single component that, it, once I give it a config, it can sort of, you know, uh, uh, from the cocoon emerge as a butterfly uh, and become whatever it's supposed to be. But but that's exactly what we're going to do, right? So the 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 view container ref, which again is available in any component that you have, um, is what we're going to grab in this scenario. We're going to do it through injection, and once we have it. That view container reference that Angular is providing us, it's one of their classes, um, has a function or a method on it called create component, which does exactly what we want it to do. It spawns a component out of nowhere. You just have to tell it which one. And you do that, how do you you tell it which one? You do that via a component factory, which brings us to the next piece of the puzzle, which is the component factory resolver and you know this is just a uh, angular's way of creating a factory that will create the component that the view container can use it, it's it sounds like it's a little bit of like you know um misdirection or, or or a little bit hard to follow but it's really pretty straightforward if you if you if you just think of it very simply which is if i know which component i want to create i simply use the resolver which again is an injected piece coming from Angular called the component factory resolver, I just use the resolver to resolve the component factory of that type of component. And then once I have that factory object now, I can say, hey, container, you container ref, please create the component using this factory. And that's it.
1: Yeah, and and the thing to think about is that we kind of have to do some of the framework lifting for it here. Right. So normally you declare a component, you give it an act component, it's got a template, you have a selector, you put that selector on the page or you router outlet to it. And Angular can do all of its magic, right? It can do all of its uh, fancy pants stuff where it turns these these components into things that we can see. With the dynamic components, we got to remember, you know, Angular doesn't know at build time, at compile time, like where these components are going to go. Or, or how many of them or what they're going to, to, to look like or how they're going to function. So it, it, like Chris said, it does sound really confusing. We'll give a snippet of code on the, the factory resolver because it's not a lot of code at all. It's like two lines. It's very simple to actually do this. Um, but you, you kind of have to help out Angular a little bit. And they actually have a good tutorial on their website about dynamic components um, that shows this factory resolver being used um, that I looked at, I remember back when we were, you know, kind of doing research on this. Um, uh, so, uh, so I would definitely check that out. We can, we can include a link to that, um, as well in the, in the show notes, but I just wanted to point that out that you kind of do a little bit of, uh, of the lifting of the, the framework here, uh, to kind of help it out since it doesn't know these things at compile time.
0: Right. Right. Absolutely. But once you call that the, uh, the view container, Ref, once you call its create component, that's it. This component is now spawned. Um, now, the only other piece that you need to know about in order to make this work is uh, you probably on your form text box component, you probably had inputs there, right? Like you had an input, it would take in a config and it would take in a form because it needed those things, you know, previously. And each one of our uh, forms that are form field uh, form components that we've created the text box one the select one the you know a date one whatever all of them have the same two inputs a config so it knows all the little pieces it needs to know about itself and a uh, form so it knows what to attach itself to. and so all we do in that case is when we call this create component not only does it create the component in the view for us but it also returns from that function, the component itself. So you can just store that in an object. And then once you have that, you can say dot instance," which means the specific instance that's been created, and you can access all of its properties. So we can say, you know the component that just got created dot instance dot config. And now we have access to that property that was an input property uh, previously, even though technically there's no way to really get to that input, right? It's not like there's a Element ref where I can you know do an attribute or something it doesn't work that way here instead, I have to actually uh, bring in the config and say assign it to that thing
1: yeah, and that's because you're not actually placing these components anywhere in your you know in any templates or anything to be able to pass those in so right um, yeah, so it's nice it gives you those hooks so I think the you know the the one thing to add to this um is that we talked about um originally saying hey i could just write like an ngf and put a bunch of these elements in if i want to um so the thing that we we've talked about kind of how it spins up like what's the technical ways that it spins up these uh dynamic things but i think we need to talk about also you know how does this know which one to spin up and there's really like i mean tell everybody what the really fancy way is that you figure out which one to spin up chris
0: yeah it's it's really simple uh and and fancy. Uh what we do is the config has a enumerator on it <laughs> and that enumerator says I should be a text box or it says nope, I should be a date input. And so that enumerator is sitting there in the config already. Uh remember we said in the previous episode our, our SQL database knows what data type it's storing. So when we pull that information down into our uh config object we're sort of making a determination based on that information. Well, in SQL, it was a date. So I guess I should use a date input. Like it's it's really as as simple as that if you think about it. So these enumerator pieces are already on the config object. And uh, in our magical dynamic field component, we just have a switch. <laughs> and it <laughs> says, which component should I get? Well, it, it's really just using a switch statement to grab that and say, if my enum is the one for data input, then I should give you the form Form day one. And that's that's it.
1: Yeah. And it passes back the actual reference of the component in that case, right? right. So like mm-hmm. what you would do when you were importing it. Um, and you know, you may be saying, Well, Chris, I could have just did the NGIFs. Why why do I get this switch? How's a switch statement gonna get me out of the hole? And uh, you know, that seems like a valid use case. But the idea here is that with your NGIFs, you're having to do that each time, right? Anytime you go and build a form. You're gonna have to say, NGF, do I need this component or this component or this component or this component? Right. Yeah. Now, with what we've built here, every single form is one component element. That's it, right? So you build your beautiful user interface, your beautiful, you know, cards lists or whatever you're using nowadays, your material design <laughs> craziness. And at the end of the day, you just stick one element in the middle of it all that is the dynamic form element, the dynamic field element. Um, And then if you get to the use case, like we said before, where, hey, well, what if I want to add some element in the future? Well, great. It's not zero uh, work to do that. This isn't one of those no-code repos. Mm -hmm. Um, But the, the benefit with this structure is, well, you just go to your dynamic field, which is one central component. You add the use case, and boom. It's ready to go. And now you can actually use that element in any form that you've written in your entire application because they're all just coming from that single element. So, So we've really boiled down and distilled down this form from, I started with a label and a text box. I abstracted that to a input component, which has the label, text box, everything in there. Uh, then I had to add more components, so I have an input component, I have a date picker component, I have a, a text area component, all this stuff, and you know, you realize that, hey, I need to um, to solve this because now I'm just building a form again, <laughs> mm-hmm. which isn't that fun. And uh, so what we did then is we created this dynamic field, and when we create this dynamic field, uh, we're kind of encompassing or encapsulating all of those into a single element. And what you said—the two key points here—is that we can give it a form and we can give it a config. Yeah. And at this point, the the sky's the limit, right? On what you can do because it's whatever's in your config, right? You just give it a config, and whatever you want to do in your config is how you can utilize this new uh, component.
0: Yeah, and I do, I do want to. I agree with that, and I appreciate the uh, summation. I, I do want to step back just a quick second, though, for two things. One. If we did do it via NGIFs, uh, you've got to consider that the NGIFs are not uh, a zero situation as far as performance goes. Those NGIFs don't realize that you made a decision at the beginning of the component's life that will never change. Those NGIFs are always waiting to say, oh, should I show the other one now? Should I show the other one now? Are oh, you sure it's a text box? Maybe it'll change in five seconds and it'll be a select now. Like So the NGIFs, Don't work that way. They're like that, you make a decision and it shows the one, but now there's still the overhead, at least from a change detection perspective. Should all of these other ones ever show? The answer is no. Once you've made your decision, one's showing and none of the other ones are. So the view container ref and the factory resolver is is by far a more performant way to go as far as that's concerned. But the other thing, and, and this is getting, you know, this is a pretty advanced example. But the other thing is, imagine if my config could actually house some sort of custom component reference itself, if it had a property called custom component, and that custom component was a reference to some component that you made. Let's say that our standard one doesn't have a color picker, because we don't think that that's super important or something. But your application, for whatever reason, color pickers are everywhere. And you had to come up with a design for a color picker as one of these um, form element inputs. But since it's not part of our dynamic forms, you really can't render it. Well, in that scenario you could, because you could say here's a custom component and it's the color picker one. And we could still pass that into the view container ref and the component factory, and it would still render. Like it it still knows what to do. Whereas in the NGF scenario, there's no version of that where you can say, ah, be something I didn't even know existed. Like it, that's not really gonna work
1: yeah and i think that that's a you know really you know there's a lot of benefits that you know you're just not going to see until you start implementing this thing i think as well like because you don't realize the time save on this thing um this kind of this kind of abstraction uh the one thing that i do want to maybe um you know touch base on is some of the um you know some of the things that we learned throughout the past year and a half of having these and uh you know we're we're running pretty good on time, about 40 minutes now, but I think uh, it'd be good to to go into a few examples of some things we added on top of. So at this point, we only talked about inputs, the config, and the um, form. Mm-hmm. But what we haven't talked about are outputs, right? Because you know, one of the things that we quickly learned <laughs> after we released these is people want to hook into these controls. And you know, so for instance, if I have a text box, text box has a blur event. Usually with a normal form, and this is where dynamic forms can can have a little bit of a downside, right? With a normal form, you just hook into the blur event, and and you're good to go because the input's right there. With a dynamic uh, field, you only have that single dynamic field component, right? So that's that could be anything. right? It's not necessarily a text box. So you can't just say, hey, on blur of this dynamic field, right? Because it actually what it's doing is, is rendering all of these controls inside of it. Um, so you need to figure out ways to, you know, sort of expand or, you know, provide APIs for some of these, you know, base functionalities that you would normally easily have access to if it was on your uh, on your page. Um, so that's some things we learned is like adding events to it, like blur, um, you know one of the other things is um, value changes, like how value changes is handled, I, I know it was a big one. You mentioned custom components. Um, you know uh, there's there's a lot of really useful things that you're gonna probably want to add in as your your use cases expand.
0: Yeah, and it's also important to note that like reactive forms uh, already has a built in way to get a value changes, right? Like you could just subscribe to the value changes of the form. And you would know when those values changed. Um, But it doesn't have any way of doing that for blur. Because the reactive form itself is not connected to the input element per se. It's more like the value is connected. But the value is the only thing that's connected. So the actual implementation of the input element on the screen is kind of not Angular's domain. Things it cannot do. It, it can't tell you through a reactive form that something blurred. It can tell you if it changed. It can tell you if it was touched, but it can't tell you if it was blurred or focused. Um, it also can't tell you um, if uh, if you wanted to tell it to focus. It has no way of understanding that. Like If you look up reactive forms in Angular and say, hey, how can I make it focus a text box for me through Angular? And the answer is you can't. <laughs> there is no way to do that. That just doesn't exist. Now, you could do it manually through like a view child or something like that. But now you're not talking about using Angular forms to do it. So again, if you would like to have that kind of capability, you're going to need to build that into your your tooling or your framework around these form these form objects.
1: Yeah. And one other thing to consider is uh, when Angular 9 came around, specifically when Ivy started, is they actually uh, changed up how they do these dynamic components that we've been talking about. Prior to 9, you actually could uh, do this, but you had to list them all of what's called entry components. And this is another option when you're defining a module. So when you're defining a module, you have imports, exports, uh, providers, and you also have an option for entry components. Uh, And you would have to place them in there just so like the Angular compiler and bundler like knew that they existed at all (laughs) to be able to use. Um, But with Angular 9 and Ivy, actually, they deprecated that. You don't need to do that anymore. It won't break anything if you have an old application that uses them in the upgrade, um, but you don't have to anymore, which is pretty cool. So if you're listening to this and you're not using Angular 9 or Ivy just make sure we didn't really talk about that step, but that's one thing you're going to need to do is you need to have these dynamic components um, added into that section.
0: And actually, I remember the uh, error warning on that being pretty straightforward. It was like, this is <laughs> not, we, you tried to create a component with the factory resolver that we don't know about. Is it not listed in entry components? Question mark? Like, I think that's literally <laughs> what yeah. it said when, when it, we didn't do that.
1: Yeah, one of the few error messages that actually helps you uh, without Googling. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, cool. And I think the one last scenario is really when we want to, um, you know, fix, like we we were talking before, we take the best guess when it comes to what to set these configs up, um, but we don't always get it right. Uh, right. You know, so sometimes you need to change that. So what are some options for people, you know, when the, um, the generators or the configs, if you're, if you're not doing them manually and you're automating that process, what happens when they don't get those right? Like how do we solve that problem?
0: Yeah. I mean, uh, if we're talking about our, our templater that builds out all of the form controls, uh, configs for us using the backend information from SQL, Uh, it's going to create those files and sort of overwrite the old one every time. So if you did make a change to that file, yeah, it would work right then. But the next time someone runs that generator, you're going to get overwritten. So what we're doing is we're uh, building out a a partial, essentially. So we're building out a new form uh, control that says uh, partial at the end of the name. And uh, the idea is that we're going to bring this one in and extend the one that came from the templator. So it, it we'll just call super. We'll let it do its job. Uh, and then after super, we'll make any edits that are specific. So like if we got, let's say the thing that we got wrong is that uh, they, they don't want this to be a text box. They want it to be a text area. Okay, fine. Uh, then that's the t- enumerator that should be the one that we select via the dynamic field. So they'll just have to set that enumerator to a different number. No big deal.
1: Yeah. And and I guess um, we should mention that when we talk about utilizing this partial, we're talking about the component that actually implements the dynamic field, right? So you put the dynamic field on a component, like say your user info screen. Uh, and then at that point, you're going to take in the configuration into that component and pass it as an input to the dynamic field. So that's the step where you would just say, hey, instead of taking the normal configuration, I want to take this partial configuration that I've uh, that I've changed. And the nice thing is that lets you kind of do it at a more global level by doing the partial. Or if you really wanted to, you could even change it at that individual component level. Right. Just change the config uh, before it gets sent in. So uh, there's a lot of nice features and it's very flexible. Uh, You know, or, you know, you might be in the camp of I'm not going to automate these dynamic controls that's a little too complicated i don't have that ability well that's fine write them by hand i th- i still think it's faster and it's better and easier to do it this way even if you're creating the configs yourself because you don't have a fancy pants way of taking it from the database to the front end and you have to kind of do that on your own
0: but at least every form text box you create will look exactly the same right and have exactly the same features implemented uh so that you have consistency across their applications
1: yeah. And so so let's just jump in the final thoughts because that's a nice segue for one of my final thoughts, which is that, um, you know, try to be creative with how you implement this, right? Like we gave you our way of doing it, but this is an idea. This is a concept, right? To... to extract these forms into the dynamic things. And Angular has a good guide on how they they do it. And we've given you maybe, you know, a more complicated or advanced or, you know, hopefully pretty cool way of doing it. Um, but feel free to be creative. Look at how Angular does it. Look at how we do it. Uh talk to us on Twitter <laughs> if you're curious. You can always hit us up and we can talk through or, or discuss some scenarios you may have um to try to get this to work for you. You don't have to, you know, throw out the, the baby with the bathwater when it comes to this concept, you can definitely get there with some nice, easy middle ground uh, ways of doing things. So I would just encourage people to, to, to think a little bit creatively about this, do the best you can with implementing things with your resources. Um, but ultimately, I think this is a really beneficial tool once you you spend some time with it and you learn it and you understand it, um, you know, and you, and you get the feel for these dynamic components. It's, it's really valuable.
0: Yeah. And I, I'm going to, I'm going to second that and just say, you know, really, you know, really happy you brought it up because uh, in all these cases, all the, all the episodes we've ever done, um, we're probably talking about something that we've made and something we've accomplished, but we're talking about how we got there, talking about the individual steps along the way, what the original problem was. And it's not because we expect you have the same problem. And it's not because we expect that our solution is going to be your solution. It's because those individual pieces might spark something that you need in your individual piece for your solution. You know, um, this is what we created because we're working with, uh, for a company that in our template, uh, most of the time we're building CRUD, you know, create, read, update, delete, and, and it's the same over and over. Uh, and there are some cool features in a lot of our apps, but I would say over 50% of the app is CRUD. Uh, so if it's a lot of forms, uh, and like in our case, we really needed to come up with a solution for that. But that may not be your situation. You may work on entirely different things, and this is just not important to you. But the process or the concept can be translated to almost anything. You know, It's whatever you need it to be.
1: Yeah, and, and it's a lot of first principles thinking, right? So like... You know, it's not every day you think, "Well, how can I write this form in a different way than I've been writing forms for the past ten years of my life?" Right? Um, that's a tough question to get to. Like, just the question itself is hard to get to. Um, and I think that that's one of the the things that we've done here, which is why I'm so excited to share it and why I love it so much is that we've we've rethought how to do forms. Right? like and this is something that's like a very baseline simple thing like you just do it this way it's opinionated you don't have to rethink it um, but we did and I think we came up with a great solution and I'm, I'm happy to share it with people and I hope that you see that benefit as well um, so yeah that's great uh, so thanks everybody for hanging out for the ride uh any anything else before we we wrap up for the outro Chris
0: no no I just hope that uh, people enjoyed this and if they want to hear more of the solutions that we've created for our template, because there's there's a lot of them. Uh, if you want to hear more about our specific cases that we've created, you know, right from the problem up to the solution, uh, we could certainly do more episodes like this, even if they needed to be multiple episodes to to cover the concept. So uh, let us know if you like this uh, format and you want to hear more.
1: Yeah, definitely. And uh, thanks for uh, thanks again for everybody that listens. We really appreciate it. Um, if you ever have any questions or comments or feedback for us about the show, we'd love for you to reach out to us on Twitter. Uh, I'm at John Graham Dev. That's J-O-H-N-G-R-A-H-A-M Dev, D-E-V. Uh, and Chris is at Pilgrim Secret. Uh, you can reach out to either of us on Twitter. Uh, and we'd love to love to hear your comments and feedback. Um, actually, right now, we're not hiring. <laughs> Usually, we tell people to check out our website. I think we we've caught up on a, a lot of the hiring we need to do but you can always uh look back there if you're ever interested in working for miles or working with our team or on the types of tools that we do uh that we build and and share with people uh, you can check us out at miles slash careers uh and just keep an eye out for the next time that there's an opening um we'd love to have you uh have you uh, come out and, and interview and, and hopefully come be a part of this cool thing we're building
0: yeah there's a good um, chance that by the time you listen to this Yes, you. I'm talking to you. Uh, <laughs> we probably are hiring again. <laughs> yeah,
1: definitely. Definitely. Uh, so we're recording this in late November. So we do have the holidays coming up. So it might be a little bit of a delay, but we're about to drop three episodes on you, which will hopefully help carry you through uh, any sort of small delay that we may have had. Um, so we appreciate the patience. Chris and I do this Uh, you know, not as a career, (laughs) as a passion. So uh, we do the best we can to get episodes out as quickly, but uh, we thank everybody that listens and, and communicates and gives us feedback. It's always great. So absolutely. Thanks everyone.
0: Yeah. Thanks so much.
1: Bye.